right, well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, awesome. Yeah, good, yeah, good. All right, we're all good. Hey, my name is Seth. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Salem, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you guys. And, and uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, uh, please make sure you stop me afterwards. I'd love to, to greet you, say hello, and get to know your story uh, a little bit. So I add my welcome to the rest of the welcomes uh, that you've received uh, so far. It's a great church. We're glad that you're here. So, um, hey, we was just starting a new series uh, this last week called Rooted, uh, Grounded in Love. We're going to jump into that this week. Uh, but before we do, um, a couple days ago, actually, maybe just yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, um, my wife and I uh, were with our daughter and we were at Menards and we were uh, shopping for some, some final materials that uh, we needed to start our fence project for the third time. Um, so if you... <laughs> If you remember way back when, when that started, yep, it's actually getting done, right? So we're really excited to get that started. So, but we were at Menards, and um, uh, my wife needed to go uh, get something, um, and so I had Eden, our daughter, and, uh, and I was on kind of dad duty. And so I was given a task, though, that I needed to go uh, find, I can't remember what I needed to buy, like just some like self-tapping screws or something. And so, uh, and so I go, and I, and I find them, and here's Eden and I, and we're, we're like going through these aisles, and it's just a super fun time. And, and then we go to look for uh, my wife, who's supposed to be, I think, at the time, maybe in the food aisle. And so we finish our shopping, and we go, and we try to find Nikki, and she's nowhere to be found. So, I mean, this is normal, right? You go to the store with somebody else, this is the way it works. And so she calls me, and, and so I answer. She says, hey, where are you? I'm, I'm over such and such. And I'm like, great, okay, we'll come meet you. But as I'm, as I'm walking back through the food aisle, I don't know, maybe it's a man thing, maybe it's a Seth thing, but if you walk through the food like section, like, there's no way, there's no way I'm walking through there and not like, well, that looks really good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, that, take that home. And so I found like some Spreckers, like root beer. I was like, wow, that just sounds really good. I'm gonna take that. And so then I meet up with Nikki and I just put it in the cart and she looks at me and she just knows. That's how it works, right? So <laughs> it's funny. So we're always, we're always on the lookout. I feel like many of us are on the, the lookout for just uh, good deals. Like we're always looking for something that we, need, we want or that we need, uh, and so we always do this. And, so, um, and it's inevitable, too, if you go into the store, um, you, ever, you ever do this? You go into a store, a grocery store, you've been given the task to get three items, and you come out with ten. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like this is something I do a lot. Nikki's like, here's three things we need for dinner, great. And then I, like, I walk in, and they're like, hey, do you need a cart? No, thanks, all I need is three. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just, like, I think women are so much smarter. Like, they just do it right. Like, in me, I'm just, like, like grabbing things and, like, like, every pinky and finger has something that I'm grasping onto because I'm constantly looking for good deals. But here's the thing. In life, sometimes a deal comes across your desk or into your life that as you process it, you go, there's no way that's, that's real. There's no way that that's true. It's far, far too good of a deal to be true. So I read this article this week about um, these big companies uh, that have started this. I don't know if you've heard about this, but a lot of larger companies right now uh, in seeking to, to draw certain age demographics into their, into their business are offering this as one of their benefits. Unlimited vacation. I saw like five faces go, how many of you want unlimited vacation? Yeah, right? Yeah. So new policy change, Salem? Yeah. Uh-huh. No, just kidding. Um, unlimited vacation, right? It's this idea. It's like as long as you're getting your work done, we'll give you 
unlimited vacation, right? And that's part of the motivator, right? And you look at that and you go, wow, that's far too good of a deal to be true. It's way too good to be true, right? And yet that one actually is true. I got a, a, a text this week that was not true, at least I, I don't think it was true. It's a text that said, dear Venmo user, it says, you've been selected immediately. You should just hit delete, right? You've been selected, you know, to fill out this form. And if you do, you will receive a minimum of $125 gift. And I was like, wow, there's no way that's true, <laughs> right? Like, there's a moment, there's that moment inside of you where like, do I click it? No, I can't, because it's too good to be true. It's a scam. I can't do it. In fact, I was talking to Brady this week. He goes, I got that same text. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't push it, you know? So it's too good to be true. And yet here's the deal. I think that that idea of something appearing too good to be true is what we're going to find in, in the letter of Ephesians. Because as we unpack this letter, as we start in this letter in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 today, we're going to see some really amazing, incredible things that as you read them, they will fill you. I hope that they fill you with awe and wonder. And it might lead you to a place where you go, wow, this is so incredible. It feels like it's too good to be true. But I promise you it is. It is true. Right? And that's the way that Ephesians works. Now, here's the deal. Uh, I am a firm believer that God has given us every single thing that we need in this book that we call the Bible. Uh, everything that I need to know about this life, about who God is and what he's doing in the world and how I fit into his story and into his plan, into his purpose, is right here. Which, by the way, this is, I think, part of what it means to be blessed in today's world as a Christian. Because if you lived in Jesus' time, you did not get one of these. They didn't have it on, on paper, <laughs> let alone on a phone that you could just take anywhere, Right? That what they would do is they'd write these letters. Paul wrote, wrote this letter from the, you know, from the prison in Rome, and he sent it to the church in Ephesus, and some guy or gal gets up, they read it in front of everybody, and everybody listens, and they do their best to remember it when they go home. So this is a huge blessing that you and I get to hold this in our hand, and it has everything that we need to know, Right? And what I love, what I love about this is that we remember is that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us, which means that when I study this, when I wrestle with it, I'm not just figuring out words, I'm also wrestling with the original audience and the context, the history, because all of that comes into play as we wrestle with scripture, right? There's so much here. And so I want to think, as we, as we dive into this, it's kind of like an exploration, it's an odyssey type of a thing. But growing up, I was a huge, and still am, I'm a huge, still am, Star Wars fan. But this is kind of like Star Trek, in the sense that we are entering into this odyssey, this adventure, this, this totally new, unknown world, this exploration. And we're going to go and discover as much as we can the beauty and the majesty about who God is, his character, the way that he operates, and how he works in this world. And it's so huge. It's going to be so rich and so amazing. But here's the truth. <laughs> If you enter into a world of unknowns, it's inevitable that at some point you're going to find something that you say, huh? 
how, how does that work? I don't, I don't understand. And we can research and we can, and we can collect all this data and we might get some more answers, but with more answers, there's more questions. That's in part what it means to study, study God. We can learn more, but there's this mystery, this, this intrigue about who he is and what's happening in the world. And so what we want to do is if we find something new about God, we want to, to examine it. So um, just, just think for a moment that you, um, for sake of this illustration, we're just going to say that you find a dead butterfly, not a live one, because that way there's no murder in the story, okay? Um, so if you find a beautiful dead butterfly, that sounds so weird. If you find a beautiful butterfly and you want to discover this, you want to examine it and search it and go, man, what is it? This is so beautiful. And so we, we put it under the microscope and we start to cut and we dissect and we discover and we learn some really neat things. But our tendency sometimes with scripture is that we keep cutting and keep cutting, and keep cutting, and keep cutting, so much so that by the time that we're done, the, the beauty of the butterfly has been mutilated, and we miss the beauty. And so this morning, in this passage, as we're going to read it, right, there's some really, really, really good things in here that we need to think very deeply about, because it's God's word, and we need to study them and think deeply, but my, my, my caution to us in this morning is as we wrestle, as we go home and study and wrestle with concepts of election and free will, all of those things that we don't lose the beauty of the, pa- of the passage. You tracking with me? Because there's some really, 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 really good things in this passage. And so I want to put up three things. I'm going to read. I'm going to read it. But I want to put up these three things that I just want you to look for or listen for. Because this is not going to be on the screens. Because we're practicing first century right here. Okay? Just listen to the words as they flow from the page. This is where we need Morgan Freeman. <laughs> you know, somebody like that to read this. Okay, here it goes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You see, there's that line which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So thick and rich with the goodness of God in this passage is so dense, there's no way we can unpack all of that in a single morning. But I just want to give you a couple things as we jump into this. This is an unusual thing for Paul, because what Paul normally does in his letter is that he writes this greeting, and then he moves to a thanksgiving, and then he moves to uh, like a prayer. And here, right in the middle, at the very beginning of his letter, already after two verses, he's interjected something new. And it's this praise or this blessing that resembles a Hebrew poem called a Barakah, right? And so what he's doing is he's describing the majesty of God here, but it's, but it's super out of order. And what's crazy is that when you read this, all of those things I just read, however long that took me to read, in Greek, that's one single verse. Verses 3 through 14, 202 words. I didn't count them. I read somewhere. 202 words. Have you ever met somebody like that? <laughs> like we do this we can all find things that are really easy to talk about in our lives right like we talk about a new movie that just came out chat 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 and then it dies down and then a new thing chat 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 right but here paul it's like he starts and he just can't stop it's like he's so overflowing with praise that it just spills out of his being right it's incredible it's so good and it starts with this verse 3, right? This verse 3, which is kind of an umbrella verse. So what we're going to do is we're just going to draw kind of, kind of this top overarching thing that's kind of like uh, um, an umbrella top, okay? Uh, and what we're going to find are these three, these three words in this first verse. And, and you'll, you'll get why. why we're putting them up. The first word is the word blessed or blessed. And he's talking about God in, in his person because God, we're going to see, is the subject of this entire verse, okay? So it starts with God being blessed, but then what it goes to is this idea that not only is God blessed, but that God actually blesses us. Right? You see, it's the same word. And then he continues this trajectory. With this idea of blessings. So God is blessed, and he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But what we're going to see, actually, in this text is these three kind of primary characters. I'm pretty sure you'll know who they are. They're pretty important in the Bible, right? First one is God the Father. Then you have God the Son, and then you have God the Spirit, right? All three of these characters are going to show up in some way, shape, or form in a way that, that, that works out God's purpose and his plan to the praise of his glorious 
grace, okay? So let's take a look at this. The first, first verse, uh, verse three, uh, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, okay? So that first one, um, you, you look at this and you might read it as a verb. You might go, okay, so maybe it's a command that we are called to command. We're supposed to bless or praise God, but that's not what it is. Is it a wish or a desire? Like Paul's like, hey guys, I really wish that you guys would just praise God more. Like you guys are really lacking in your enthusiasm for praise. That's not what it is either. The word blessed is just an, it's an adjective that describes God. And God is the main subject of this entire passage. He's the main character. Everything in this passion starts with God the Father right? And that he is blessed. Now, this is a huge thing for the people of, of Ephesus because, and here's why, because you remember, right, they've made this huge, massive shift. They started in polytheism, right? Where all of these gods, they have all these Greek and Roman gods that they've adopted and put in their lives, and all of these people, and then all of a sudden, this home makeover happens. Talk about, like, total home makeover. They shift from all of the gods to how many? One, to one God. But it's not just that they've shifted from that to this, it's also that they've shifted from impersonal to personal. Because when you read in the English, when it's the capital G-O-D in the New Testament, it's oftentimes a replacement for the word, for the name Yahweh, which is his personal name. I am who I am. And he engages. So not only do they switch from all these gods to one, all of a sudden they are in relationship with the creator of the universe who has all of this power, but that he engages them in a very personal way. It's a total home makeover for these people, right? And so to be blessed is, is this idea to speak well of that we are to speak well of or to praise God. So here's the deal. It doesn't matter whether or not God gets praise from you or from me or from anybody else in this world. It doesn't matter, but it does show that he is deserving. So whether or not he gets it or not, he deserves all power. He deserves all honor. He deserves all appreciation. He deserves all of our praise. And so we look at this idea of blessed or blessed is God. It's, it's totally indicative. This is who God is. It's declarative of who he is and what he deserves. It's just who he is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Jesus Christ. He deserves that. Well, why? Why does he deserve that? Well, there's a whole host of reasons, uh, but there's one the text tells us, and it's this, is that it's tied directly to what he has done. And what it says is that he has blessed us, right? He has blessed us. And again, that idea of speaking well, right? God speaks well of us, and, and so here's the deal. Are we supposed to speak well of him? What's going on? Because Paul is laying the subtle foundation for what's going to be his most powerful argument in this entire letter. And he's going to hit on a really hard in chapter 2. And namely, that's this. And I want you to hear this. Be all clear in this. Is that there is no reason for God to speak well of you and me. Apart from Christ, which we'll talk about. But apart from Christ, there is no reason that God should ever speak well of you and me. 
That's who we are in contrast to him, right? And yet, here's the truth. God looks to you and me, and he does speak well. And so we look at this, we go, wow, there's no way. This is way too good to be true. Because God, I know what's going on in my heart. I know what my history is filled with. There's no way, there's no reason why you should look at me and speak well of me. There's no reason. And yet he does. He does speak well of us. If you remember, you go all the way back to the beginning. Like God's word have all this power, right? He creates the whole universe with just these words. They have the power to create, to shift, to change, to move, all of these things. And so the words that God spoke in creation with all of that power and all of his creativity and all of that and that it entails, he points those words at you and me. And all of a sudden now we are the recipient of those power, life-changing words. And so to be blessed is to be the recipients of something that God is changing and doing in the world, right? He has blessed us. And so if you're a person in Ephesus, you're like, wow, there's no way. This is way too good to be true. No, Paul says it is true. Beyond that, remember, these people in Ephesus were, were Gentiles. They're not even Hebrew people. Remember the this, this story back in Genesis 12 when God is speaking to this guy named Abram before he's ever Abraham, and here's what it says. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will, here's that word, bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the story that started all the way back, right, with God and Abraham and, and these, these covenants is now being fulfilled because it's extending all the way to the Gentiles, which, thank goodness, this happens because you and me are a part of that group. We are blessed in that way. And so we go, wow, like, if you were to say, right, that we are blessed, guess what? You're going to win massive understatement of the year award. Because it is so much bigger than we give it credit for. That God has blessed us. That God, who has no reason to speak well of us, does speak well of us. Why? Because there's a character that enters into the story. His name is Jesus, which we'll talk about. But there's these blessings that he gives us. Check this out, right? These these blessings. It says that, that we've been given all of these spiritual blessings. Okay, so when it talks about spiritual, I think it's talking about the things of the Spirit, the things of the Holy Spirit, right? So everything that the Spirit has, right, that's who. Where is it? Well, it's actually in the heavenly realm, okay? So let's assume that this kind of over here is the heavenly space. This is the spiritual realm, okay? Over here... We've got earth. This is the physical realm. And I think there's this underlying thing for us as, as, as probably just as humans is that we have this tendency to look at the physical and we just want to shed the physical. We want to get rid of the physical and we want to move into the spiritual, right? Like if I could somehow like leave this body in this place and float over here, like everything's going to be good. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what Paul is saying is that we've been blessed with these spiritual things. So the Holy Spirit, who is from this space, somehow is bringing all of that goodness to right here, to you and me, right now. 
And it's not one, it's not two, it's not 10%, it's not 20%, it's every spiritual blessing. And we look at that, we go, wow, there's no way. No way that that's true. That's far too good to be true. And yet it is. So we, we look at God and we go, he's blessed because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's the umbrella. Now let's dive into just a few of these things quickly, but a few of these things that are part of these blessings that we can see. And the first one, as we see, the main character is, is the Father, right? So the first thing as we see is we're going to be chosen by the Father in verses 4 through 6. And as we enter into these verses, I want to share with you that there's a lot of discussion and a lot of confusion, I think, that actually comes out of these verses, right? There's a lot of discussion, a lot of confusion that comes out, and they're tricky words. They're tricky words because they're related to our salvation, how one person becomes a believer. And so at the core, there's this basic fundamental questions. Does God choose people to be saved, or do people believe of their own free will? That's the question. Guys, and we have people in this room who span every single side of these discussions, and so enter in with grace, but let's study, and let's be thoughtful, and let's, and let's listen to what he has to say, right? Because how we understand these words is deeply significant to how we understand the blessing that we've been given in Christ, okay? Deeply, deeply powerful, okay? So that first, that first word that sparks some confusion is the word chosen, Okay? The first word, chosen. A chosen is the idea of selecting. Um, it's really, it's kind of definition is about this. God has this personal interest in selecting. He's a very personal interest in, in how he selects and whom he selects. It's not arbitrary, okay? So it's not like um, God uh, before the world began, which by the way, this, this designates the time, right? So God selected and chose people, right, before the world even started. It's not this arbitrary event, though, in which he, he looks at us, and it's like this, like this pregame warm-up for creating the world, and it's like this giant game of whack-a-mole. I got you. Oh, I missed you. I got you. I missed you. It's not arbitrary. Uh, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't mean that like, God somehow wrote out the perfect theological math equation, and then he entered it in, and he's like, okay, here we go. That's not how it works either. And it's not like impersonal or like out of like dislike, right? It's not because he doesn't love certain people. And so we need to lay these things out that that's not the way that it is. But yet scripture seems to teach this idea of election. And so I want to challenge you to keep looking into it and processing that. But here's what I don't want you to miss, okay? Because don't miss the beauty of the passage. Because all of a sudden, we start thinking too hard about that, and we miss this. And it says, why? Why were we chosen? That we would be holy and blameless before him. And all of a sudden, you go, me? Little old me? With all my mess all of my brokenness, the man, the woman who has, that God has no right to speak well of, and you would look at me, and you would choose me? Like, that, that, that seems too good to be true, and yet it is holy and blameless. Awesome. A second word that causes confusion is this idea of predestined. 
right? That he is predestined. It's the word that we actually get in English, the idea of the horizon, that God has set a boundary. And so if he set these boundaries beforehand, it's like looking into the horizon and setting a boundary right there. It's this predetermining or determining or deciding beforehand, right? That's what the word means. But don't miss the beauty of this next piece. It says why we were predestined to adoption as sons. Listen to that. Remember these people in Ephesus? These were Gentiles, right? They had no right in the initial way to be included into God's family, right? But now these people are being grafted in to God's chosen family, and all of a sudden they have this adoption status, and they are rightful heirs and children of God, right? It's incredible. I don't know if you guys know this, but some of you guys probably do, but I'm adopted, my story, just, just briefly, my story goes a little bit like this. Guy meets girl in bar and too much to drink, and nine months later, a little baby enters into the world. And I get it. I know that that happens. Right? That's the way the, the real world works. And so when she found out she was pregnant, as she came and she said, hey, here's the deal. And he said, wow, that's, that's too much for me. I already have a family. I can't jeopardize that. And so she, in her wisdom and discernment, decided to put me up for adoption. And I don't know what ran through her mind or why she chose it, but she requested that I be adopted by a Christian family. Enter into the story, Mark and Joyce Dunham. So they enter in, adoption agency calls. Hey, Mark, hey, Joyce, we've got a semi-beautiful baby for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> super low maintenance, he has very little hair, always will. <laughs> and so they come, we're on it, we come, here we are. It's hard for me to get through this part because my dad told me long ago, and I'll never forget this, he said as I looked into the window where all of the babies lay, he said he looked at me and he knew, I knew in some way, shape, or form, right, that, that I as a baby was, was chosen for this family. My parents didn't have a choice, but as they looked at me in that space, they said, but I wouldn't have chosen anybody else. You begin to see how blessed we really are when we are the benefits of God's choosing. And if you'd get me started talking about Eden, like we just, I would just need to, just Kleenex, Kleenex, Kleenex. Because God is so good in how he brings these things together. And by the way, this is all done according to the purpose of God's will. And so what we learn in this moment, at the very least, is that God has a very specific plan in which he is working to accomplish, right? He's not like this open theism would suggest that he entered in with all of his power and then just just let everybody go and said, we'll see how it works out. He is very active in pursuing and causing and making and allowing a very specific thing to happen in the end. And that is part of his plan. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no free will, I don't think. Because what Paul later describes is this idea of a mystery. He says that, that the, the purpose, that this will of God is in fact a mystery, Right? And so these things, they seem to work together. And so remember that this is one long verse, 3 through 14, one long verse. Right? And so we have this tendency to look at predestined and chosen, and we get so fixated on this that we miss that down in 13, it says that we believe. And see, somehow these things work together. They are friends. There is God's work. There is our work. 
and how these work together. When, when uh, Charles Spurgeon was once asked, how does, he, um, how does he bring the providence of God, how does he reconcile the providence of God uh, with um, human free will? He said, I have no need. Why would I reconcile two friends? Because this is the way that scripture teaches it, right? right? And we go, gosh, the question isn't why God chose some and didn't choose others. The question is, why did God save anybody at all? Start to wrestle with that for a little bit, right? It's way too good to be true as we see how fascinating this is and how really deep this is and how it inspires how it's way too good to be true, and yet it is, which is why Paul ends with to the praise of his glorious grace. That's how it is, which by the way, he did all of this in love, and love is the key word in this book. It's the key theme that ties the first chapters and the end chapters together. Love is the key word, and in the context of this book, what love means is that God is seeking out the highest good of the one that he loves, and guess what? This is the most powerful argument in what Paul's setting up, and he's going to hammer down in chapter two that namely this, there's no reason why God would ever speak well of you apart from Christ. That's it. That's the core of this. It's remarkable that God places his love on us, of you, of me, of all people who are undeserving, unloving, selfish, pitiful creatures. It's who we are. Why? Why can he do that? Because another character enters into the story, and it's God the Son. And it says that we are redeemed right? If we go to this next slide, right? These next verses in 7 through 10, it says that we are redeemed. Redeemed just means to, it means to buy back. It means that if you pay a ransom, if you pay a certain sum of money or some form of currency, there is this releasing effect. So that which once was in bondage is now free to exit out of that bondage and into freedom. And so God buys back his people through Christ, and he does that through the blood. And so we, we look at the cross, we go, wow, that's so good. Thank you. No, do we get it? Do we really get how powerful the cross actually is? Because what happens is that forgiveness follows when we have faith. When we've been given salvation, all of your sins for all time have been wiped away. And I say, wow, I hope, I hope, hope, hope that we never take that as a sense of entitlement. He forgave us because of his choice through his son and through the death of Jesus on the cross. That is the part of the blessing that we've been given. He did that through the riches of his grace, which he lavished. I love the word lavished. He lavished. It means to exceed or to go beyond any measured amount. Growing up, I watched the show DuckTales. Anybody watch DuckTales? Um, there's this character, Scrooge McDuck, okay? So we're going to toss out really quick, uh, not equating Jesus to Scrooge McDuck, okay? That's out the window. But Scrooge McDuck, in this show, he had this massive vault that was filled with gold coins, and he would so unrealistically dive <laughs> into his gold and swim and go down and come up and do flips, right? And every time you watch it, you're like, holy cow, you are so rich. And you look at Jesus, you look at God, and you go, wow, that's the blessing that he's lavished upon us. And I want you to look at these, these final, uh, these, these really important verses in 9 and 10. Just check these out, okay? Um, let's just skip to 10 because I want to I keep things moving. 
Okay, next verse. Here's what it says. It says that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And here's, the, here's this purpose. To what? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And I want you to see, come over to our board here, right? If you remember, we talked about these spiritual blessings, right? And so here we have earth over here, the physical realm, and we have this idea, right, that heaven is over here, and that's the spiritual realm, and the spirit is somehow bringing things from there to here, and we're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But let me show you how this really works. Because what Jesus did when he entered in and he dies on the cross, remember what does he say? He says the kingdom of heaven is what? Is near. It's at hand. So what he's doing, right, is he's actually bringing these two things together. And so we have this tendency to look at the physical realm and to think that our body, we look at our body and we go, man, my body is evil. If I could somehow just shed my evil body and go over here, that would be good. Guess what? Your body isn't evil. It's the sin inside of you that does bad things with your body. Your body is fine. Your body was made for this, and this was made for this. And so when Christ brings us together, he's not talking about separating them or making them further apart. He's actually overlapping them. And he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and creates the space for us that we can live in and live in the power of a resurrected life. And yet for many of us, we choose to stand over here because we go, wow, that's, there's no way. That's way too good to be true. And yet it is. It is true. And we begin to see why these kingdoms overlapping is such a big deal because the one is coming over and consuming the other. And that's the opportunity that we have in this life and what part of what Paul is setting us up for in this letter. And the last thing, the last person to enter in is the Spirit. And it says that we've been sealed by the Spirit, which means that we've been marked with a stamp of authenticity. And as a result of that, whether you step into this life or not in today's world, you still have an inheritance that is waiting for you. And it's permanent. It's marked by your genuineness because the Holy Spirit has stamped you with approval. And we say to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the blessings that we get. Are you, do you follow that? And I think it's easy for us to grow really entitled in the Christian life. And if we would stop for a moment and think and remember exactly how blessed we really are. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world, selected personally, chosen, right? Before the foundation of the world. Uh, we've been predestined in that sense. We, we've also, right, um, We've been redeemed. We've been bought back by the blood of Jesus with all of our sins completely done and gone in God's eyes. And third, we've been sealed with the mark of authenticity by the Spirit. And all of that God accomplished in love in Christ is the center of this. I'm going to end with this final, final story. Um, I once um, saw this, this, this comedy sketch of a guy who is getting on a plane and he tells the story about this guy who's sitting next to him and over the intercom they announce uh, that there's now free Wi-Fi on the plane. 
And so the guy next to him is super excited. Yes, this is great. This is so good. Five minutes later on the intercom, I'm sorry, our Wi-Fi is down. No! And the, the comedian says, what the guy just learned existed, how quickly the world owed him in that moment, right? And then he, and he tells the story. He looks at it. He says this. As he's like looking at this guy, he says, yeah, cool. Hey, what happened next? Did you fly through the air? Did you partake in, in the, the majestic flight like a bird? Is that what you did? And then he goes, you non-contributing zero. You had nothing to do with this. You had nothing to do with this. And yet how quickly we go, this is deserved, this is mine, this is for me. And he goes, man, don't miss the beauty. Don't miss the greatness of this. He says everybody on every plane at all times should be like, ah! Because of how great it is. And I'm convinced that that's what Paul sets up right here in 3 through 14. Don't miss the beauty of the passage. At all times, we should be enthralled with the blessing that we've been given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you right now, and I pray for great humility as we, as we come before the cross, as we're about to worship and sing a song of praise. Uh, Lord, it would be my hope and prayer that each of us, myself included, in this moment would have eyes opened to see that praising you is far bigger and far deeper than I oftentimes give you credit. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Not one, not two, but all. And so Lord, we, we praise you. We thank you for the goodness of who you are. May you spark in us, like Paul, this sense that, that we wanna talk about God everywhere we go, like that, that long 202 word verse, that we would be so filled with thanksgiving and gratitude for who you are and what you've done, that we would talk about it everywhere we go.